Origin of the Shadow, Part 1 Prologue In the small, quaint town of Summersville, Kansas, resides a young man named Jackson Medley. Jack is a sophomore at Summersville Christian University. During the majority of his childhood, he was powerless, possessing no talents of his own. But during a traumatic event in high school, something awakened inside of him, and he found himself possessing more power than he knew how to handle. From that moment forward, he barely tasted defeat due to his incredible strength, speed, and cleverness. He had many talents, the number of which grew each year. His seemingly unbeatable power has caused him to have a very lackadaisical attitude toward life, as every single fight he has gotten into since high school has resulted in his swift, effortless victory. His life seems to be very clean-cut. Breeze through college, get a good job, settle down. That's the plan. It always has been. When arriving at college, Jack met his roommate, Sam Shellick. They became fast friends and embarked on many adventures together. Sam dubbed them unbeatable and unkillable, as he had the ability to heal from the most grievous wounds in seconds. They both do well in their classes, but lack discipline. Ever since an incident with the track team months ago, Sam has been attending a local martial arts dojo and training hard to better himself. Jack attended Sam's class once, as a guest. After defeating almost every student with ease, he decided not to go back as incredible strength and speed almost always trumps technique. Chapter 1 Jack stood motionless in a dark void. Looking around, he could only see empty space. As his eyes adjusted to the surroundings, he realized what little light there was in the void was coming from what looked like a wall in the distance. Approaching the wall, he could make out a figure. Before him stood not a wall, but instead a set of massive double doors. The doors looked to be made of oak wood, and they had strange carvings on them. Each door was larger than a cruise ship, and both of them had large circular handles on them. Jack looked around once again and realized the only source of light in this void was coming from those doors. The doors had a small fissure near the bottom that reached a quarter of the way up the door. The doors were sealed shut, so the fissure wasn't in the middle. It looked like something on the other side had tried to escape and broke only a bit of the door. Jack suddenly felt a cool breeze coming from the darkness. Walking toward the fissure, he began feeling warmth radiating from inside. The closer he was to the door, the more warmth he felt. After warmth, he felt the tingling in his muscles, then his bones, and finally in his core. Once he had reached the fissure, he took a step inside and felt a strong force backward. He was flung back seemingly for miles by an unknown force. A sharp intake of breath forced his eyes open as light and sound flooded his senses. The hum of the bus was louder than usual. Shifting positions, Sam's head nearly fell off Jack's shoulder. Jack looked out the window, expecting to see a parking lot full of cars, only to be greeted by the sight and sound of bumper-to-bumper -bumper highway traffic. The business teacher, Mr. Meacham, was driving the bus. He had short, white hair that covered only half of his head. His wrinkled striped shirts usually had a stain down the front unless it was a special occasion in which he would buy a new one. Today was not such an occasion. Growing up in New York, 
Mr. Meacham was equally used to bad traffic and disgusted by it. Old Havitz got the better of him as he honked the horn and began screaming at cars on either side of him in an effort to speed up the traffic jam. His screaming woke Sam. While Sam stretched out what remained of his grogginess, Jack noticed the puddle of drool Sam left unintentionally during his sleep. He winced and brushed his shoulder, as if brushing it would do any good. Sam yawned once more, causing Jack and the young man behind them to yawn as well. Where are we? Sam said, mid-yawn. Jack scanned the highway, looking for street signs or any indication that they were close to their destination. No such luck. I'm not sure, Jack said, stretching out his arms and cracking his knuckles. Mr. Meacham laid on the horn once more, waking other students from their sleep. Sam nodded toward Mr. Meacham. You want to ask the ape or should I? Jack hesitated. He knew as soon as Mr. Meacham's attention was averted from the traffic, he would most likely take his anger out on whoever distracted him. Jack sighed. Hey, Professor, Jack said, apparently too soft for the peeved bus driver to hear. Mr. Meacham continued swearing at traffic. Mr. Meacham? He said, finally directing his attention away from the cars around him. Mr. Meacham was in the middle of a honk when he heard the call. He turned around and exploded his answer. What? Jack half expected a response like this. Mr. Meacham claimed to have volunteered to drive the students on this trip because he knew the streets of Indianapolis better than anyone. At least, that's what he said to the higher-ups. It wasn't a big secret that he was actually here for the free weekend at a fancy hotel. Where are we right now? Jack said, lowering his voice. Mr. Meacham shook his head. On the blasted highway, where does it look like we are? Jack exhaled, and Sam slapped his forehead. Yeah, I know. I mean, how far are we from the hotel? Mr. Meacham's eyes widened for a split second as he realized the ludicrousy of his last answer. Stumbling on his words, he finally answered. Well, we're, we're about half an hour out. Studying the road while he spoke made his anger return. I mean, we would be about a half an hour out if we weren't completely stuck in this blasted traffic. His face once again became red as he honked the horn in front of him. The bus began to fill with noise, and most other students were waking from their sleep as well. Soon, the bus was filled with enough noise that Mr. Meacham's shouting wasn't as distinct. A blur of motion caught Jack's attention right outside the window. Something small and fuzzy jumped off the top of the bus onto another car. A white cat turned to face Jack, sitting on top of the car. Its figure was slim, as most stray cats were. It had ocean-blue eyes like a husky dog. It clearly wasn't starving. Her ribs weren't evident, like some other strays, but her hair was tangled and dirty. Leaves and dust covered her hair, making her white hair have a brown tint. This cat would be beautiful if it were groomed properly. Sam mushed his face against the glass. That's gross. It looks like a raccoon. Is that a raccoon? 
Jack elbowed his ribs. No, it's a cat, dingus. Raccoons have black rings around their eyes, and they're a lot bigger. Sam looked confusedly at Jack. Are you sure? It's so ugly. It's not that ugly. It just needs it cleaned up a bit. Sam cocked his head. Eh, all I'm saying is, I wouldn't take her in. She's probably got diseases. Jack continued to stare at the cat. Maybe. Just then, the driver's side door of the car opened below the cat. A man threw his legs out of the door, aggressively grabbing anything he could for balance. He began yelling at something, but stopped when he saw the cat. His face dropped, apparently realizing that no one had actually slapped the top of his car. Jack looked away just in time for the man to quickly search the area to see if anyone caught him yelling at nothing at all. Then he swatted at the cat, who didn't budge. Finally, the man's impatience got the better of him as he batted the cat off the top of the car. The mangy white cat turned and hissed a warning, which only annoyed the man further. Sam's attention was once again summoned as the cat hit the ground. He's gonna kick her. Jack shook his head. He's not gonna kick her. As soon as he said this, Jack realized he spoke too soon. The man walked up to the cat with his chest puffed out and wound up his leg. Sam looked at Jack with an I told you so kind of look. Jack rolled his eyes and flicked his hand forward. The car door hit the man's backside, causing him to lose his balance. He pushed the car door closed out of frustration and wound up to kick the cat once more. Sam held his face, trying not to choke from suppressed laughter. Jack licked his finger, and the man's foot collided with his ankle, causing him to fall flat on his back. That did the trick. The man climbed up in so much rage and embarrassment that he forgot all about the cat. He climbed up into the car and slammed the door behind him. The cat jumped on the hood of the car, taunting the man. When she reached the end of the hood, she looked directly at Jack, stared for a couple of seconds, and leapt onto the ground sprinting toward the edge of the highway. That's weird, Sam said, mushing his face against the glass once more. Jack strained to see as the cat ducked behind another car out of view. Jack would often get so lost in thought that he would forget about the many talents he possessed. Can animals sense talents? Not that I know of. I think they're doing experiments on giving talents to animals, but I don't think they're that far, at least not yet. Jack said. Sam perked up at this comment. Experiments? Like what? Like giving extra strength and durability to dogs of elites and stuff like that. At least, that's what they said on the news. You watch the news? Really? What are you, 75? Only when I'm home. My mom likes to stay informed. Well, no wonder she's so jumpy. The news only shows the worst things happening in the world. Yeah, if she had it her way, she'd send me out in bubble wrap every day. I believe it. You know, I had to talk her out of buying me a tracker. Sam chuckled. She'd be calling me every two seconds to make sure I wasn't getting into trouble. Every time I ran faster than 2,000, I would have to explain to her why I was going that fast. Sam cocked his head. I don't think it'd be that bad. 
Jack raised his eyebrows. Believe me, you said it yourself. She's jumpy. Without my dad to snap her out of it, she can come up with the craziest ideas to keep me and Annie safe. The bus finally moved when both men settled in their seats. Chapter 2 The room looked as though it was made for royalty. Jack had been in fancy hotels, but not like this. There were two levels in the entry hall. The mammoth room was lined with marble pillars, lined with silk cloth spiraling up to the ceiling. The floor was split between carpet and marble, both sporting unique designs outlining the edges. Sam looked completely hypnotized by the room. His wonder was equivalent to that of a child at a magic show. Both Sam and Jack were so captivated by the room that they nearly ran into the student leader handing out room cards. Both boys stumbled back as the student leader exhaled, feeling relieved. Hi there. Your names, please? Medley. Shellick. The student worker looked at a folded up piece of paper and clicked her tongue. After a moment, she snapped her fingers. No wonder, she said under her tongue. You guys aren't on my list. She raised her hand and pointed toward the other side of the room. You guys are probably on Samantha's list. Before any questions could be asked, she promptly addressed another student. Jack looked at Sam, and they both shrugged their shoulders. Both of them began walking in the direction she pointed, and Sam nudged Jack with his elbow. Which girl was she talking about? Sam said. Jack responded with a shrug. Samantha? Jack's tone made the statement sound more like a question. Toward the center of the crowd was a short blonde girl looking intently at her phone. Jack began heading toward the girl, and Sam followed. Samantha? Jack said, tapping the girl's shoulder. The girl looked up and greeted the two of them with a face similar to the kind a child gives a plate of broccoli. Do I look like Samantha? Her tone of voice and body language made it clear that they had picked the wrong girl. Without missing a beat, Sam stepped up to bat. Nah. He looked as though he was studying a piece of art. You look more like a Becky. Jack knew exactly what Sam was doing and immediately jumped on board. You sure? She looks more like a Janessa to me. Or maybe Carly. This did the trick. The rude girl with the cell phone scoffed, rolled her eyes, and stormed away, clicking her heels as she walked. Sam spotted the actual student leader and began walking toward her. Toward the front of the room, a door quickly opened and a girl stumbled out, tripping over her own feet and dropping several papers and documents. Jack walked over to help, trailing off from Sam. He leaned down to pick up a document and it was quickly snatched from his hand. Are you all right? He said, feeling taken aback from her hasty collection of the papers. I'm fine. I just tripped. She had a thick accent that Jack couldn't identify. It sounded almost Middle Eastern, but there was no way to tell for sure. Jack took a moment to study her as she stuffed the last few papers into her bag. Her hair was ruffled and unkempt. Her eyes were worried searching the floor for stray papers. There are a great many things that you can tell about a person by simply studying their eyes. You can tell what a person is feeling, if they're in a hurry, if they're in trouble, if they've had enough sleep, and if the conversation is keeping their attention. 
If you're good enough at reading body language, you may even be able to guess what a person is thinking based off their eyes. Hers were tired. Dark rings had formed around them. Try as they may, the worn-down look of her eyes couldn't hide how beautiful they were. They were the kind of eyes one could spend hours getting lost in, deep blue with streaks of black around them. The kind of blue that you didn't normally see on people. They actually looked similar to that of a husky dog. She stopped what she was doing, slowly rising, staring into his eyes with the same intrigue and fascination he was giving her. In her eyes, he could see the reflection of his own. To his shock and embarrassment, his eyes had turned a dark shade of red. They were practically glowing. He blinked hard and long, as if something was stuck in his eyes. They returned to their natural green color, and as if on cue, the girl snapped out of it. Clutching the bag to her chest, she began to stumble away. Jack stepped forward and put his hand on her shoulder as she turned away. She flinched, like he had just shocked her. Wait, what's your name? She turned back, looking shocked and confused, studying the room and Jack as if it was the first time she'd seen any of it. She stumbled over her own words when she spoke. Come, Camela, she said. Right as she spoke, Sam came and slapped Jack on the shoulders. Bro, I got the room key, Sam said, squeezing Jack's shoulders. Well, mine at least. This made Jack snap out of it. You didn't get mine? Did they not have one for him? Were they just doing one key per room? Sam was usually thoughtful enough to do something like that. I guess that's something you just don't take for granted, he thought. Actually, Samantha didn't have yours. She said it was at the front, with some mail. Sam said, giving a shrug. They reached the front desk and an elderly lady, with white hair, handed Jack a keycard in a small box. Jack looked at the box, and then at the lady. Frowning slightly, he began sliding the box back where it came from. I think there's a mistake. This isn't mine. The lady scrunched her face, grabbing the box to examine it. After a brief moment, she looked up. Are you Jackson Medley? She said, holding the box. Yeah, Jack said, raising an eyebrow. She slid the box back in his direction, and he began inspecting it. On the front of the box was written in pen, Jackson Medley, room 729. The return address had been mysteriously removed from the computer and scratched out of the box itself. Reluctantly, Jack unzipped the bag and stuffed the box alongside his clothes. Both Jack and Sam made their way up the seventh floor and down the hall to their room, passing all sorts of people making their way to and from their prospective rooms. Some wearing suits or dresses, like they were off to an important meeting or fancy restaurant. Others wearing swimsuits and goggles. Is there a pool here? Jack said, scanning his card to enter room 729. Sam shrugged his shoulders, pushing through the door into the large room. I don't know. Let's check it out. A faint smile began to grow on both their faces as the excitement and mystery of the hotel began to float in their minds. Their imagination began working overtime as they hastily threw their bags on the two twin beds and walked out the door. 
I explored each floor, picking up a map of the hotel close to the lobby. The fact that there was even a map meant the hotel was huge and was going to take a while to cover that much ground. The hotel was split up into sections, one for each of the regions of the United Americas. Africa's section was decorated with several statues of animals and designs of footprints on the floors. The section of the states was decorated with skyscrapers covering the walls and designs of streets on the carpets. The decorations of the European sections were familiar to that of the states, having buildings on the walls and street lamps to light the hallways. The temperature was altered depending on the section. Africa's room temperature was much hotter than that of Greenland. They practically jogged through each section with a renewed awestruck expression every time they entered a new section. What are all these rooms for, anyway? Sam said, trying each of the locked doors. Jack shrugged his shoulders. I'm not sure. If I had to guess, I'd say maybe for meetings and stuff. I would think that a place this big would be able to hold a ton of meetings and conventions. Both of them began jogging ahead while Sam tried more locked doors. Finally, they reached the section of the hotel covering the world's oceans. The walls were covered with waves and the blue carpet was filled with fish, all making their way towards two large blue doors where people of all nationalities in bathing suits were entering and leaving either completely dry or soaking wet drying themselves with towels. The carpet, saturated with water, felt squishy beneath their shoes and made a large, wet sound like they were trudging through a muddy puddle. They scanned their cards but weren't granted access to the water park. I guess you have to pay extra for that, Jack said, walking toward a large set of stairs with red carpet. Sam groaned and joined him on the stairs. You'd think they'd at least let us in to see it. I mean, we don't even have bathing suits on. It's not like we're going to swim anyway. His tone made him sound like a child that's had his toy taken away for a punishment. The floor above the water park harbored an eclectic set of restaurants and arcades with new and old video games inside. In the center of the floor was a huge cafeteria filled with people of all ages, some in bathing suits, some in street clothes, all too busy in their conversations to notice or even care about the men entering the room. On the wall facing the water park were a set of two windows, two stories high, revealing the interior of the park. The view was incredible. Pools and water slides everywhere, and people of all shapes and sizes filled the room. It was lit with thousands of fluorescent lights. It looked to be about the size of two football fields at least. They continued exploring, reaching the final hallway, out of dozens on the map. Looks like this is it. The last stop, Jack said, unfolding the map from his pocket. The lighting became progressively more dim the closer they came to the end of the hall. What's down here? Sam said, craning his neck to see the map. Jack dragged his finger along the list of attractions and restaurants. Looks like this place is called the Thirsty Dog Cafe. Jack said, looking from the map to the dimly lit doors with a half-lit neon sign above them. Sam grabbed the map and began to smirk. It's a bar. Jack's knowledge of Sam's past was very limited, but he did know that he used to be a pretty rough character before college. Sam, Jack said, 
giving him a sideways look with his eyebrows raised. Sam looked from the map to the doors, to Jack, and shrugged his shoulders defensively. What? I'm not going to buy any drinks. Those days are behind me, Sam said, cramming the map into his pocket. Sam was a great many things, but a liar he was not. If there was anything that Jack and Sam mutually shared, it was trust. Their word was their bond. While Jack grew up in middle-class neighborhoods, Sam grew up in low-income neighborhoods. He and his mom didn't have a car, so they took the subway where they needed to go. As different as their childhoods were, both Jack and Sam were raised to be honest no matter what the cost. My mom owned a bar. We lived there. It was like our house. And the regulars were the only people I really talked to. They were my only friends, Sam said, letting his shoulders relax as he spoke. It wasn't a really big deal. At first they thought it was hilarious letting an eight-year-old drink shots till he fell over. My mom was too busy flirting with some guy to even notice. It started then. I hadn't even developed my talent yet. Jack leaned against the wall as Sam spoke. Sam was too lost in thought to notice the people lumbering out of the bar toward the elevators. Drinking became a regular thing. By the time I was twelve, I was a regular. I didn't have to pay for the drinks since my mom owned the place. Nobody batted an eye when I downed an entire bottle of whiskey. I was fourteen years old when someone from the school invited me to a church nearby. I had nothing else to do on a Sunday morning except drink. The sermon was about salvation. I hadn't even heard of Jesus until I walked through the door. Turns out the pastor used to be a regular at our bar years ago, before I was even born. I talked to him about it, and he said that Jesus could heal me from my addiction. Addiction, I thought. I'm not addicted. I could stop any time I wanted to. More people wobbled through the doors, heading toward the elevator. They smelled like alcohol. Sam couldn't even smell it, but to Jack, the smell was unbearable. He clenched his nose as Sam continued. The next week, I got into a bar fight with a man twice my size. The man beat me so bad I was hospitalized. He broke two of my ribs and my spine. There was a low chance of me surviving the week, and barely any chance of me walking again. That same pastor visited me in the hospital the next day. I didn't really want to see him, but I had nowhere else to go, so why not? Sam sat on the carpet, and Jack followed his lead, leaning against the wall, as two bearded men stumbled through the doors headed toward the elevators. He told me a story about how he was saved from his addiction, and how Jesus turned his life around completely. He told me that Jesus gave his life new purpose that he had something to actually live for. His words hit me hard. I took a hard look at my life and what I was even living for. It dawned on me that without drinking, I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't have any reason to live. I broke down crying in that hospital bed. We prayed the sinner's prayer and something incredible happened. Right then and there, my talent developed and I was healed completely from everything. My spine, my ribs, and my addiction to alcohol. 
Sam rubbed his chest in the place where his ribs had been broken. Jack sat with a bewildered expression on his face. His admiration for Sam grew with each passing moment. Sam, I can't believe I've known you for this long and I didn't know that, Jack said, stroking a beard that didn't exist. Sam gave an embarrassed shrug. Yeah, it's not something I tell a whole lot of people. He got up and began leaning on the wall as two more husky men walked toward the elevator, using the wall for balance. Jack stood and regarded Sam. Sam, that's an awesome testimony. I don't know why you wouldn't want to just shout that from the rooftops. For the first time in minutes, Sam made eye contact with Jack. Because it's also a pretty painful memory. Jack looked confusedly at Sam as he continued. When I woke up, my mom wasn't even there to be with me. I don't know who my dad is, and my mom was too wasted to even come see her own son in the hospital. The next week, there was a fire in the bar, and it burned to the ground. My mom didn't make it out. There was nothing I could have done to help her. Jack's expression turned sour as he imagined Sam's story. Your mom died while you were at the hospital? He felt like he had the wind knocked out of him as Sam simply nodded in response. Where did you go? Where did you live after that? Jack said, feeling a weight on his shoulders. That pastor took me in. The one that helped me get saved. His name was Franklin Shellick. He adopted me before they could put me in the system. I went from being Sam Napier to Sam Shellick. Jack nodded comprehensively, feeling a bit of whiplash from the sudden turn in the story. The transition was pretty rough. Going from living in a bar with no rules or supervision to living in a small house with structure and Christian values gave me a huge culture shock for the first few months. I fought tooth and nail with Frank and Sheila almost every day until I finally gave in and followed the rules. After that, it didn't take me long before I realized exactly what I was missing at the bar. It was the first time I had Thanksgiving dinner, or actual Christmas presents, and going to church every week was non-negotiable. Sam trailed off, thinking for a brief moment, and snapped out of it. Sorry, I just completely rambled my entire life story. His eyes shifted, as if he was searching for something to say. Jack stood patting Sam on the back. Come on, let's get back to the room. Sam smiled, and they hopped in the elevator. Chapter 3 There were barely enough seats to fit both Jack and Sam together. The only pair of seats left were in the very back, right under the air conditioning vent. The two most avoided seats in the entire bus. Sam and Jack plopped in their seats as the bus began to move. The ice-cold air didn't really bother Jack. His tough skin kept him from feeling all but the most extreme temperatures. Sam, however, began to shiver shortly after sitting down. His skin would soon adapt to the temperature because of his healing factor, but that didn't stop him from shaking his head and shooting Jack a look. A broken shower was usually something a person was warned about beforehand, not discovered when it was needed most. 
Waking up late had already put them off schedule. Tinkering with the shower for twenty minutes nearly put them in a panic frenzy. Sam wanted to go without, but Jack wouldn't stand for it. They finally compromised, sneaking into the locker room outside the water park for what must have been the quickest showers they'd ever taken. They were dressed in out the door with merely seconds to spare before the bus closed its doors and departed. Jack couldn't decide whether to feel exasperated that they nearly missed their ride, or prideful that they'd made it to the bus completely dressed and ready in such a short amount of time. It was no big deal for Jack, as he could run much faster than anyone he knew. Dashers at the school would brag and boast about their incredible speed, but Jack could run circles around them on a bad day. It was Sam that didn't have super speed. In fact, the only talent Sam possessed was a healing factor. Granted, his healing factor was unrivaled. Even supposed titans couldn't heal as fast as he could. However, it couldn't help him shower faster. That was all discipline. Jack tossed a black sphere in the air. It was big enough to see from a distance, but small enough to fit in his pocket. Sam snatched it out of the air. What's this? Sam said, inspecting the jet black ball. Jack flicked his finger, tossing the ball back in the air with his mind. Remember that mail I got yesterday along with my key? Sam bobbed his head, studying the ball as it was tossed from hand to hand. Yeah, I guess. I assumed it was your mom sending you cleaning supplies or something. Jack snickered. That was exactly the kind of thing his mom would do. That is, if she knew the address of the hotel, or that he was staying in a hotel in the first place. Nope, Jack said, tossing the ball towards Sam, who caught it with eager hands. I don't know who it's from. The address was scratched off the box and removed from the computer. Sam studied the sphere, bringing it closer to his eye, and then dropped it quickly, snapping his hand back as if it had shocked him. What? Jack said, holding his hand out. The ball zipped to his palm as if it was magnetic. Sam tried swiping the ball away, but Jack brought it to his side before he had the chance. What was up with him? It was as if the ball had a disease and touching it meant instant death. Dude, it could be poisoned or something. Some psychopath could have sent that to you and is tracking us right now to kill us. Sam ran his finger across his neck. Jack raised an eyebrow and inspected the ball. Sam, that makes no sense, Jack said, rotating the ball in his fingers. If someone wanted to kill me, why wouldn't they just do it in my sleep? There were plenty of chances. And if someone wanted to track me, to find out where I was, why would they mail it directly to the hotel I was going to be staying? If they already knew where I was going to stay... Why would they need a device to track me? Not to mention a super obvious device. Sam's shoulders began to relax as Jack spoke, his white-knuckled grip loosening, allowing the seat cushion to puff back into shape. Jack pulled a small, folded paper from his pocket and gave it to Sam. Also, this was in the box with it. It's cryptic, but not threatening. Take a look. Jack continued tossing the ball in the air providing the perfect distraction from the bumpy road and swervy driving of Mr. Meacham. The note was handwritten with neat cursive that was very hard to read. When you need it most, use it. 
when everything is dark and all hope is lost, use it. Sam squinted, pulling it closer, then farther away, as if there was something hidden in the text that can be unlocked at a certain angle. Well, you're right about it being cryptic. Sam eyed the ball as if it were a bomb waiting to explode. He folded the note. Mind if I keep it? Jack shook his head. The bus pulled into a parking space as Sam stuffed the paper into his pocket. The bus emptied out, Sam and Jack being the last two to exit. They were quickly led into the doors of the museum like a herd of sheep. Student workers handed out pamphlets and small electronic chips, probably loaded with enough money for lunch. Jack stopped for a moment, studying the people as they collected their chips and split into different groups. Some of the sports teams gathered together by the restrooms, while smaller, less defined cliques gathered by the entrance. It seems everyone was in a group except Jack and Sam. They were too busy to notice the families passing by with energetic children, or employees greeting people as they entered, or armed guards that looked like militia, looming around the room, strategically placed as if preparing for an attack. Wait, Jack thought. Armed guards at a museum? Sam apparently noticed them too, because he walked over and elbowed Jack in the ribs. You'd think this was the freaking National Bank or something. Those guys are armed to the teeth, body suits and everything. Jack nodded his head. Sam's eyes lit up and he gasped loudly, a smile forming on his face. He shook Jack's shirt like a child wanting his attention. You see those deconstructor rifles? He pointed to one of the guards, which caught the attention of the guard. The guard raised an eyebrow, but otherwise didn't react to the pointing. This didn't face Sam. He looked giddy. To Jack, they looked like ordinary bodyguards. Nothing special. But Sam seemed to be excited about something. What are you talking about? Jack said, slipping from Sam's grip. Sam gaped wide-eyed, as if he was baffled by Jack's ignorance. What am I talking about? They're guns! Those are deconstructor rifles. I've only seen them online. They just recently came out with an upgraded version from the kind they used in World War VI. The kind that's legal for street use. Jack felt like rolling his eyes. Sam's obsession with guns just didn't make sense to him. They seemed so primitive. With talents, guns were pretty much obsolete. But there were a few that held on to the old traditions. Sam was one of them. I guess maybe to compensate for the fact that he doesn't have a combat-based talent? Maybe that's the reason for everyone's obsession with the old ways. Intimidation. Keeping tradition. Something to keep them busy in their spare time. Either way, it was a dying tradition. What's so special about those guns? They look like just every other rifle you've ever shown me, Jack said. As soon as the words escaped from his mouth, he wished he could grab them out of the air and put them back in. Sam's eyes lit up once more, and Jack could see the wheels turning inside his head as he worked up a sufficient response. Jack raised his hands. Don't go on a rant. Just tell me what's different about them. Hopefully... His answer wouldn't take up the entire day. Sam sighed as if to say, That just ruins the fun. 
These guns are ten times as powerful as regular guns. Ten times as fast and ten times as deadly. I doubt even you could dodge these bullets. And if they hit you, they don't just pierce your skin. They pull you apart on the molecular level. It was the gunmaker's answer to bulletproof skin. Sam blinked a few times, letting his thoughts settle on the next few sentences. He only said a few words, but it was obvious that his mind was working at light speed. What's different about them? Well, see those Vanta black lines on the side of their guns? Sam pointed and Jack nodded. That's the difference. You can always tell the deconstructor rifle by its Vanta black sides. Sure enough, the elegant weapons shone the reflection of fluorescent lights on every inch except directly through the center of the sides. Vanta Black absorbed nearly all light and didn't shine like the rest of the weapon. Student leaders began directing groups to different areas of the museum. Keeping up with the group, Jack squeezed Sam's shoulder. Maybe I'll get you one for Christmas. Sam puffed a laugh. Not unless you got a three million chip laying around. Jack whistled. These men were stacked, and they seemed to be stationed through the whole museum. Every area of the museum was crawling with an army of guards sporting the same armor and armed with the deconstructor rifles. Was this normal for big cities, or was something special happening here? They were so distracting that it was difficult to catch what the tour guide was saying. Jack must have missed half the tour studying and analyzing the guards posted at every entrance and exit, every door and window, watching the people almost as intensely as Jack watched them. It just didn't make sense. This was such expensive protection. It would make sense for the guard of a bank, or the president, to pack that kind of heat. But a museum? It was mind-boggling. Finally, it was time for lunch. As big as this place was, it was no surprise that they had restaurants inside the museum. It resembled a school cafeteria with several fast food bunkers instead of a singular lunch line. The murmur and bustle of dozens of people inside the lunchroom merged into a constant white noise. Jack and Sam tried finding the cheapest fast food outlets, but soon realized they were fighting an uphill battle. Every restaurant in the lunchroom seemed to be equally priced, as if they all got together and decided what to charge beforehand so none of them would outperform the others. That meant no matter what place they chose to buy from, the line would be the same and so would the price. Finally, deciding on burgers, both of them sat with their food. The black sphere from Jack's pocket fell to the ground and began rolling away. Trying to be as inconspicuous as possible, Jack flicked a finger, causing the ball to roll back. Using talents in a private property was risky business. If one was caught using talents without the level of clearance needed, they would get kicked out at the very least. At most, they'd be arrested. One was wise to be discreet about their talents. Others probably shouldn't use them at all. You could get away with using telekinesis here and there, but something like heat vision would be spotted way too easily. Jack put the ball safely back into his pocket and unwrapped the burger. I wonder why the guards are even here. Seems like a bit much for a museum. Sam said, stuffing his mouth with fries. I was thinking the same thing, Jack said, 
taking a bite of his burger. Bits of grease dripped onto the table as he devoured the burger. With greasy fingers, he grabbed fries from a mound on his plate, working his way through them. Feeling the black ball slip out of his pocket, he snatched it before it hit the ground. Before he finished the last bite of his meal, his stomach released a warning growl. Must have been all the grease. I should have gotten something else. The tour continued promptly after lunch. Each level covered a different era of history. The group Jack and Sam were in didn't ask many questions except a short, brown-haired girl with glasses. Each question prompted a long-winded answer that seemed to make the minutes drag on. Finally, they reached the main attraction, the highest level in the building, and seemingly the most guarded as well. Normally, a single level would have a dozen or so guards keeping close watch. This one easily had twenty-five, all stern-faced and heavily armed. This must be it. This must be the place with the extremely important thing they were protecting. The tour guide stopped by a large glass case covering a huge, decorated box made of gold. For the first time, Jack actually took notice of the tall female tour guide. She had black hair and a severe ponytail, sporting an outfit that looked similar to a flight attendant. She had a stern posture, blood-red lipstick, and a distinct, unrecognizable perfume. It was so faint that Jack was sure almost no one but himself could smell it. Any normal person would have to be practically sniffing her neck. That would be creepy. And here we have the Mitsubishi, the inheritance of great King Toron, said to encase the key to his unfathomable wealth. Many men have tried to open this box, but failed, due to its material. You see, it may look like it's made of gold, but it's actually made of metal, not of this planet. It's virtually indestructible. Not even a modern technology has gotten even close to putting a dent in this box. You may have noticed the increase in security. Normally we don't have this much security personnel. But this is by far the most expensive item we've ever had, and it just arrived last night. You kids are lucky to be the first ones to see this item. We're expecting to have a major increase in tourists once the level is open to the public. Just then, Jack's stomach twisted in a knot. The growling in his stomach suddenly made sense. He needed a restroom. Fast. He quickly shuffled to the back of the room into a hallway where it would be most logical to put a bathroom. But it was honestly a gamble. Jack was getting desperate. If the restroom wasn't back here, he may have to risk getting caught using super speed indoors. It would be worth it. Not to mention the fact that this entire trip had been unbearably boring. Getting ticked out from using talents would almost be the best thing to happen to him. More time to explore the incredible hotel. He was in luck. There was an employee-only restroom in the back of the hallway. The visit was brief, but needed. Crisis averted. Note to self, get something less greasy for lunch next time. While buckling his belt, he heard the static sound of a radio going off. Delta-4 checking in. There was a static buzz, and the man next to the stall clicked his radio, 
Report. System breached. Ready for shutdown. Target is no longer in sight. The man in the next stall sighed angrily. Find the target. Do not let him out of your sight. I will join you when I am available. Good work on the system. Hold for further instruction. Another buzz sounded from the radio. Copy, the radio said. The man in the next stall knocked on the wall, making Jack nearly jump out of his skin. You got any toilet paper over there? It suddenly occurred to Jack that he was in an employee's-only restroom, and he could get into big trouble by even being here. Places like this were extra strict about things regarding the general public. His heart went from a steady walk to a jog. If they caught him, he'd be kicked out for sure. His threats about leaving were premature and empty. He didn't actually want to be kicked out. That would be embarrassing. Not to mention it would probably be nearly as boring as being stuck in here. What would he do on the outside while the rest of his tour continued? Sure, he could explore the hotel, but it was honestly no fun without Sam. How would he even tell Sam that he'd been kicked out? Telepathy seemed an awfully useful talent, but not one that Jack possessed. The man's voice rumbled on the other side. Hello? Got any toilet paper? Jack snapped out of his trail of thoughts. Oh, yeah, he said, a bit too hastily. Sorry. He grabbed a roll and tossed it onto the wall. Thanks, the man said. Jack unlocked the door and began walking out when another guard walked in the restroom. Jack quickly reclosed the stall door, ducking down so the man couldn't see him from outside the stall. His heart felt like it was about to jump out of his chest. The adrenaline filling his veins made him alert. Why was he so scared? Surely these men wouldn't shoot him for being in a restroom. Regardless, his instincts took over. He looked through the stall as the man set a deconstructor rifle beside the sink. Walking toward the stalls, he knocked on the door to the left. After receiving a sharp grunt in response, the guard knocked on Jack's stall door. The air caught in Jack's throat. He couldn't breathe, much less answer him. He had to do something, anything, move, talk, do something other than standing there like an idiot. He's going to catch you, stupid. Move, he thought to himself. As the second wave of knocks rang through the stall, for a still moment, everything seemed quiet, dead silent. For a moment, he felt lightheaded, forgetting all about his talents and how to use them. He forgot about how to see through the walls, how to speak, how to move. All that existed was the tiny space between the door and the wall. To his horror, the man became impatient looking through the space directly at him. Jack's heart began to race. He was completely exposed for the guard to see. An eternity passed as the man looked up and down and tried to open the door. The rattle of the door was deafening. Jack felt dizzy, reaching out to grab the wall for support. He grabbed the wall, but, but his hand wasn't there. He couldn't see his hand grabbing the wall. In fact, he couldn't see anything that belonged to him. His arms, his legs, his feet, everything was gone. Invisibility. This is new. 
Jack hadn't used this talent before. He didn't even know he had it. Regardless, he could use it. He needed to get out of the restroom. He devised a plan surprisingly fast. He would unlock the door, pass through the wall, head out the door toward the museum, and make it back to the group without being noticed by any more guards. Simple enough. First, the guard. Getting past him would definitely be possible. He seemed to be occupied trying to get the locked door open. However, just to be safe, Jack decided to unlock the door so that he would enter the stall, providing a safe passage out of his sight to the exit. That provided extremely difficult as he couldn't see his hands. To the guard's surprise, the lock clicked open and he stepped inside. Now to get out of here. Before the guard got too close, Jack passed through the wall and began heading toward the door. Then he tripped on the guard's gun, causing him to fall toward the window. Luckily, he was quick enough to pass through the window without breaking it, but not quick enough to remember to fly once he was outside. He was now dropping ten stories toward the ground below. Chapter 4 Sam studied the weapons carefully, noting each curve and detail of the slick black frame, the flawless length of the barrels, the skillfully crafted handles molded perfectly to fit nearly any hand. He'd been meticulously studying them since, well, since he'd noticed them, actually. They were fascinating, such powerful and elegant killing machines. Oh, to get his hands on one of those bad boys. How much fear and respect people would have for him. At a simple gesture, he could have people down on their knees, begging for mercy. It was a crude thought, a violent, bitter thought. One that, if spoken out loud, would almost suggest that Sam harbored a deep-seated hatred for any man but himself. That was only partly true. He didn't hate everybody. Just the selected few that beat him mercilessly or savagely maimed him just because he would heal from any wound. Sure, his body would heal, but it still hurt. Hurt to be betrayed so many times by what he considered to be friends. Hurt to find out again and again that he couldn't trust anyone. Hurt to be alone for so long, or feel like he was. Being alone was one thing. Being alone in a crowd was another. Being alone in a crowd that wants to hurt you is a whole new level of lonely. He tried to be a good sport about it, laughing it off like it was nothing. But honestly, what else could he do? He couldn't fight back. He couldn't act brave. All the karate lessons in the world couldn't match super speed or strength. It would have to be a deconstructor rifle. That was his only chance at keeping up with Jack in a fight tour guide kept droning on about some gold box in the middle of the room. It looked like the Ark of the Covenant or something, but it didn't matter. The important part, the main attractions, were the guns. I'd like to see Jack outrun one of those bullets. He thinks he can, but I'm certain he'd get hit for sure. Sam smirked at the thought of showing Jack up at something for once. The thought of his best friend made him feel warm. Safe, even. 
the only living man Sam fully trusted not to betray or use him like everyone else, save for his family, his adopted family. Sam inched closer to the gunman without thinking, completely entranced by the elegant shape of the guns. What an interesting man Jack was. So powerful, yet seeming to have no reason to use his talents. He didn't bully anyone or use his enormous strength to get lots of money or his unbelievable speed to go on vacations or anything. He was extremely gifted in fighting but never went looking for one. He slipped into the background where he felt most comfortable, only coming out of the shadows when someone was in trouble. Jack was a freaking superhero, but he didn't even want to admit it. If the roles were reversed, this would be a totally different story. It would be the bad guys that were getting the beat down. Not Sam. He'd never be walked on, or spoken down to, or looked at with anything but the utmost respect. He'd make sure of that. A man of honor. Jack's powers were wasted. Someone who didn't want to fight for himself shouldn't have gotten the incredible power Jack has. To Sam, all this was true. Yet he had never really complained because he knew that Jack was one of the only people that could handle that kind of power without being corrupted. Men killed to have power like that for even five minutes, wasting their money and lives on useless drug enhancements, steroids that boosted their power temporarily, but ultimately made the user sick over time. Too sick to fight, sometimes too sick to breathe. I wonder what would happen if I took one of those things. Sam thought with a smirk. The entire idea made him laugh. Would it make him heal faster? That would only make the steroid work out of his system. It would be working to kill itself. It was just dumb to have one talent. Not only that, but one of the most useless talents out there. If he only had one more. Something he could fight with. He'd be nearly unstoppable. Jack's nearly unstoppable. Where Sam had one, Jack had so many talents he didn't know what to do with them all. Some he forgot entirely, having no reason to use them after the first time. That's dumb, too. It's like we all rolled dice before we were born. I got barely anything while Jack hit, well, the jackpot. It was funny. Jack was probably the most powerful person in the entire school, but he never had demanded any recognition for anything. If only he knew how easy he'd have it. If only he knew how many girls he'd have all fighting over him. Life would be a breeze. And all he'd have to do was show off even three of his talents. Where was he, anyway? Sam looked around the room, craning his neck to see over people. Jack was pretty easy to spot in a crowd. He was a head and shoulders taller than most people, and his short brown hair was almost always spiked, making him appear that much taller. The tour guide began to wrap up her little speech and lead the group toward the elevators. Jack doesn't hurry. He's going to be stuck in here for a long while, Sam thought, stepping into an elevator crammed with students. What on earth is he doing? Jack caught himself in midair, 
just inches from a massive garbage disposal outside the shipping door. He'd fallen much faster than he was anticipating. Maybe the angle had something to do with it? He was barely able to stop himself from obliterating that garbage bin. Would it have hurt? No. Would it have drawn a ton of unwanted attention? Most definitely. He floated up toward the window he had escaped from. The good news was, the guards had cleared out by the time he was back. The bad news was, now he needed a way back inside. He could have just went through the window like he came out. But there was no need for that. I could just turn invisible and rejoin the group. Easy enough. He tried using his invisibility, but nothing happened. He tried recreating the emotions he had felt while in that stall, hoping and praying that he wouldn't be seen by the guard. But still nothing. This was annoying. Talents were like muscles. The more you used them, the stronger they became. Some talents, like muscles, needed to be pushed to the point of tearing in order to reach beyond their limits. There was a time when Jack wanted nothing more than to be the most powerful. The most powerful titan. The most powerful man. However, time and time again, his father taught him by example that power doesn't get you nearly as much as people think it does. Jack snapped out of his thoughts. Reminiscing about the past was nice and all, but the museum was right there, and Jack was no closer to getting inside than he was a few minutes ago. Learning a new talent was tedious, confusing and tedious. Possibly the most useful power ever was at his fingertips, and he didn't know how to use it. It was like a muscle that he'd used for the first time in his life, and Jack didn't even remember how to do it. It would take too much time to learn more time than he had. With a deep breath, he floated toward the window. Who cares if he got caught? Better to get caught inside using an employee-only restroom than to be flying outside the window like some pervert hoping for a peek. He faced through the window, gracefully landing on the tile floor without a sound. The faucet dripped, and the smell was rank. Looks like I wasn't the only one with greasy burger problems. He opened the door to find a pitch-black room. The only light in the whole room was leaking from the doorway in the bathroom. Not being able to see, well, made his hearing spike up majorly. He could hear the clicks of the air conditioning unit, as it most likely was switching temperatures. It sounded like an air conditioning unit. The clicks were too rhythmic to be anything else. An air conditioning unit? Or someone speaking Morse code? No. No one knows Morse code. That's ancient history. Fabric rustled in several places throughout the room. That was strange. Were the guards still in here? Were they protecting a completely dark room? Did they have night vision goggles? Was that artifact that important? Can I turn it off now? A soft, squeaky voice rang through the darkness. More fabric shuffled when the man spoke. Go ahead. The second man's voice was muffled, like he was wearing a mask. A moment later, the lights flashed on, and Jack realized he was standing in the middle of the hallway in clear view of the guards. He darted to the wall as silently as possible. Had they seen him? Was he going to get kicked out? Okay. Obviously, the group isn't here, he thought, crouching and looking through the floor. Two layers. 
three layers, four layers, five layers. By the time he saw through the sixth layer, his vision became blurry, like he needed glasses, an unfortunate side effect of not practicing x-ray vision enough. Like muscles, they only get stronger with practice. And practice with x-ray vision meant seeing into places he shouldn't be seeing. Prying into people's business is rude. But looking into their homes and seeing what they do in private is downright shameful. His mother nearly burned that quote into his skull when Jack was caught practicing his newfound talent on the neighbor girl. He didn't use SXA vision much after that incident. Finally, he was able to see to the bottom floor, where a group of blurry students were waiting for the bus to arrive. Shoot! They're leaving. Without me! Without a second thought, Jack passed through the doors of the museum faster than most people would be able to see. Only dashers would be able to see him clearly moving at this speed. To everyone else, he was a blur, traveling from ceiling to the floor in a fraction of a second. When he reached the ground floor, he landed in a janitor's closet. Didn't really think this one through, he thought, as he walked out the door. In his attempt to avoid suspicion, he had landed in a, in a broom closet. It hadn't occurred to him that a man walking out of a broom closet alone in the middle of the day would probably be equally as suspicious as if he had appeared out of thin air. Luckily, no one saw him, so he was safe. Sam spotted him immediately. His shoulders sank, and he shot him a look that practically screamed, You cut it close this time. Chapter 5 Shopping seemed like such a weird thing to do when on a field trip. Definitely not something Jack would have preferred when exploring the city of Indianapolis. But Sam was different. He wanted something to remember the trip by, something sentimental. It was strange, but not strange to Sam. Jack picked up a business card. On the card was a bold sign stating, Dirty Dan's Gun Shop. What kind of place calls itself Dirty Dan's Gun Shop? Jack said, inspecting the card. This place, I guess, Sam said half-heartedly as he studied the wall. A deconstructor rifle sat encased in a glass box, and Sam was looking at it like he would his next meal. Jack could only imagine how much restraint Sam was showing not to break open the box and walk out with the weapon. Guns were his life. His obsession. Sam was nearly as obsessed with guns as Jack had once been about mastering his talents. Years ago, becoming the strongest was the only thing in the world to Jack. Becoming a titan seemed like more of a fairy tale than a possibility, until he met one in person. That titan had been the most unkind, stuck-up man Jack had ever met in his life. That could be excused because of the man's fame. Celebrities were often unkind to other people. However, what surprised him the most was how people treated the Titan. Without even meeting the man, the people around him would treat him like a disease. They wouldn't make eye contact with him. They wouldn't talk to him. Some would even cross the street as if they were in his way. It was like his mere presence was annoying to the people around Jack's father later explained the Titans had a reputation for accidentally killing their opponents in battle. Even though they were the good guys, 
they were treated like bad guys, regardless of what they'd done. Are you going to buy anything or just look? Jack said, wadding the business card into a ball. He threw it at Sam's head, but he moved just in the nick of time. Sam gave him an exaggerated sigh, letting his shoulders sink. You just don't appreciate the art like I do, Sam said, leaning against the counter. Jack held out his hand, causing the wadded-up business card to zip into his palm. The handle on this one has a dragon on it. They don't always put designs on the handles, but this one is special for some reason. Probably why it's marked up in price. Jack threw the paper as he spoke, this time nailing him on the chest. It didn't seem to notice. Artwork, eh? You didn't seem that interested in the actual artwork at the museum. At this, Sam shook his head. He grabbed his hair as if he was stressed and bowed low in exaggerated disappointment. That was not art. Yes, time went into making it, and yes, it was on display, but it was not art. He pointed to the deconstructor rifle on the wall. That is art. As if on cue, a younger man stepped out from the back room. He was blonde, overweight, and had a few stray chin hairs that he must have missed while shaving. He wasn't terribly short. His head would have probably reached Jack's chin. That was about average. Hey guys, he said with a smile. What can I do for you? He seemed to study Jack more closely than he did Sam. Yeah, I'd like to buy these, Sam said, holding a small box of ammunition in his hand. The man grabbed the box, inspecting the label, then typed something on the holograph computer. That'll be three hundred digits. Jack and Sam both raised their eyebrows. Three hundred? Sam patted his pocket where he kept his chip. That's ridiculous. The man cocked his head. Well, these are infusers for the Deco 325. He gestured for the deconstructor rifle on the wall. That's the latest model. The ammo for this model is twice as concentrated, so it would make sense that they'd up the price for it. Sam held his chin, studying the small box. Do you have a Deco 325? The man said. Sam shook his head. These were just for novelty, you know, for show. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford one. The man behind the counter chuckled. I understand that. My dad owns this store. He has for years. He's been trying to buy one himself, but new models keep coming out and he wants the latest and greatest. It's not cheap. He walked to another section of the counter and grabbed an identical white box. But I'll tell you what, since you're just getting them as collector's items, I've got these infusers for the 115 left over from last year's shipment. We don't sell the 115 anymore, so this box is marked way down. I can sell it to you for 150. Sam's eyes widened, and he began to reach for the chip. The man hurried over and began grabbing some wrapping paper. I'll even wrap it for you. He'll wrap it for him? Jack thought, as he watched the man hurriedly cover the box with paper. How badly does he want this gone? Suddenly, something clicked in his mind. He doesn't want the ammo gone. 
He wants us to buy it without even questioning the price. He's a swindler. Jack studied the man as he rapped. Small beads of sweat began to form on his forehead as he furiously tied a bow on the box. I wonder how low I could get the price. How badly does this guy want to get rid of them? Jack patted Sam on the back. Come on, man. Don't buy these, Jack said, loud enough for the man to hear. He stopped rapping. You could get 115 infusers for 50 digits back home. We don't need to buy it from this place. Jack might as well have spoken a different language. The look of confusion on Sam's face was priceless. His tone was hushed, as if he didn't want the man to hear. But the sound of shoes squeaking toward the men made it obvious that he heard everything. I'll sell them to you for fifty, the man said, nearly wheezing from jogging over. The jig was up. Whatever tough guy act this guy was using fell apart at the seams when Jack called his bluff. He was putty in his hands. Jack crossed his arms and squinted his eyes. I don't know, man, he said, facing Sam. That's a pretty small box for fifty digits. The one back home's a whole crate of them. How far could he push his luck? Would the man catch on? Sam still looked dumbfounded as to what was going on. This played in Jack's favor, as Sam looked like he was just seriously considering. Usually, he was quicker than that. Was he actually that surprised from the conversation? Or was he just dumbfounded by the mere chance of getting a whole box of infusers for just 50 digits? The man looked horrified. It seems as though Jack still had some influence on the man. I'll give them to you for 30. That's all I can do. My dad would kill me if I didn't sell this junk for at least 30. Bingo. Jack nodded gleefully, and Sam pulled out his chip to pay the man. Walking out of the store, Sam looked surprisingly from the ammo box to Jack and back again. I can't believe you just did that. How did you do that? He opened the box, taking an infuser out to inspect it. The infuser looked like an old-school shotgun shell, with an orange glow radiating from the small hole toward the front. The guy was an amateur. When he wanted to wrap your box, I knew he just wanted to get rid of it. I don't actually know if there are any gun shops in Somersville. Sam beamed, inspecting the shell from various distances from his face. He was too preoccupied to say thank you, but that smile was thank you enough. Shortly behind them, the door to the gun shop burst open as the man hustled toward them. Did he want his ammo back? Did his father tell him to bring the men back and force them to pay more? That's a ridiculous thought. Shop owners didn't force people to pay more after they've already paid. The clerk reached the men, bending down, placing his hands on his knees as he caught his breath. Is this yours? He said through puffs of breath. I think it dropped out of your pocket. Sam grabbed a folded up piece of paper from his hand and the man jogged back to the shop. What is it? Jack said, curiously eyeing the paper. Sam unfolded the paper and nodded. Oh, it's the thing that came with your ball, remember? I'm not sure why I kept it. Sam handed the paper to Jack. 
He unfolded the paper to read it once more before he would throw it away. When you need it most, use it. When everything is dark and all hope is lost, use it. This is very important. You are going to need this. Do not lose it. This is strange, Jack said, handing the paper back to Sam. That last part wasn't on there before, was it? Sam took the paper, looking at it more closely than before. He shot his head up, looking at Jack. You're right, he said, looking worried. It wasn't there before. He paused and thought for a second. You should definitely get rid of it. This thing keeps getting creepier by the minute. I still think it's a tracker. Jack grabbed for the ball to see if anything changed about it. It wasn't in his left pocket as it had been before. Neither was it in his right. It was missing. Well, looks like you got your wish. I can't find it. This bugged Jack more than he would have cared to admit. Where could this thing be? Sam shrugged. Who cares? Good riddance, I say. Jack stopped walking, lost in thought. He began to think out loud. I had it at the museum. It kept falling out of my pocket. Sam grabbed him on the shoulders. The thing is creepy. Why does it matter? I don't understand. Why is it so important to you? You got it yesterday from someone you didn't know, and now you're seriously stressing over a black ball. Jack exhaled. I don't know, okay? I don't know why it's so important to me. It just is. There's something about that ball that, I don't know, speaks to me. Sam's brow furrowed. Speaks to you? You mean you have conversations with this black ball? Sam felt Jack's. Sam felt Jack's forehead, as if checking for a fever. Jack batted his hand away. No, I don't have conversations with it. It's like it's alive. Like, like it feels warm in my hand. Like it has a heartbeat or something. Sam shook his head. Bro, this is crazy. Let's just get back to the hotel. Maybe you'll find it there. Maybe it's in your suitcase. Either way, it's 11 o'clock and I don't want to be locked out of the hotel. Jack started, realizing what Sam just said. We're not going to get locked out of the hotel. It's open 24 hours. This is really important to me, Sam. I do not want to leave that ball. We go home tomorrow morning. I will have no time to look for it. It will be lost forever. The note even says not to lose it. Sam looked at the note, indignant, and then ripped it apart. See? Now the note's gone. Now it doesn't say anything. Jack exhaled and began walking again. He began walking faster than normal. Where are you going? Sam nearly shouted from being so far behind. I think I know where the ball is. Remember when I went to the bathroom and that heavily guarded floor in the museum? Sam jogged to catch up with Jack. So, we're just going to pretend like we didn't just have a conversation about you forgetting that ball? Jack didn't pay attention to this comment. When some soldiers walked in, I had to dip out. 
I think I dropped the ball outside the window. It'll be right next to the dumpster if we're lucky. Fortunately, we're only a couple blocks from the museum. Sam shook his head at both. Sam shook his head as both of them began to jog. Chapter 6 Come on, Jack. There's nothing here. Let's go. Sam said, leaning against a wall outside the museum. Jack finished studying the inside of the garbage bin and lifted it over his head. It must have weighed more than 800 pounds, but to Jack, it was no more than a paperweight. Setting it down made a loud crash. Something that big was going to make noise no matter how carefully you put it on the ground. Sam began to walk toward Jack. You satisfied? Nothing's there. Now can we go? As he finished speaking, he slipped on a piece of glass and cut his hand deeply. Blood began to pour out in a puddle. He got up and watched the wound begin to mend. Within seconds, it looked as it did before, except for some blood stains around the cut. He wiped his hands on his pants before slapping Jack on the shoulder. Jack was leaning on the garbage bin, stroking an imaginary beard. Suddenly, his eyes shut up toward the window stories above. It's up there. It's definitely up there, Jack said, nodding his head. How can you tell? I see it. All the way up there? Yeah. Jack looked indignant, like he was surprised Sam didn't already know that he could do that. Sam walked back over to the wall and leaned on it, yawning. We'll get it quick. I'm getting tired, he said, inspecting his blood-stained hand. Jack nodded and began flying toward the window. He hovered outside for a second, checking if the coast was clear. He then turned transparent, blue mist radiating from his skin, and phased through the window. Condensation formed on the window in the shape of Jack's body. He landed gracefully, making no sound when his shoes hit the tile floor. Finding the ball wasn't difficult. It practically called to him. It felt warm in his hand, like a pile of freshly dried laundry. Not just warm. The more he held it, the hotter it became. In seconds, it was scalding hot, even to Jack's tough skin. It was so hot, it began to burn his hand, making a sizzle sound when the skin around it bubbled. He tried dropping it, frantically waving his hand around in hopes that it would fall off. However, it stuck to his hand as if it was glued there. He was paralyzed, suddenly blindsided with so much pain he couldn't move. His vision began swimming, and he felt dizzy. Suddenly, the burn faded almost as quickly as it formed, allowing Jack to drop it. He inspected his hand. There was a nasty red scar left by the ball. The skin around the scar peeled back in chunks. The pain faded, and the scar began to disappear, as if sinking into the skin. That was possibly the strangest experience that Jack ever remembered having. He reached down, hovering the ball in midair in front of him. For fear that it was going to burn him, he didn't touch it yet. Instead, he rotated the sphere in the air and inspected it. The ball was different now. It had Jack's initials engraved into it beside a diff that looked like a button. Jack carefully touched the button, expecting it to burn his fingers. 
It didn't. It didn't even feel warm anymore. In fact, nothing happened when he touched it. Crash! The sound of broken glass made him jump high, hovering inches from the ceiling. What just happened? Did someone break out of the window? Or did someone just come in? He shot a quick glance at the window he was about to phase through. It surprisingly wasn't broken. Then where did the sound of breaking glass come from? Using x-ray vision, he looked through the walls to see several flashlights shining in many different directions. Was this place being robbed? This was the floor that held supposedly the most valuable artifact in the world. Supposedly. He might need Sam's help with this one. He phased through the window, heading toward the street, leaving condensation in his path. Leaning on the street, he rushed towards Sam. Did you get it? Can we go now? Sam said, playing with a shard of glass on the ground. Sam, I need your help. The museum's being robbed. There are a ton of men up there taking the artifact. Jack's tone was insistent. Sam's eyes lit up, finally sensing some excitement. Now that's what I'm talking about. You want me to call the elites? Jack looked down as if considering. Yeah, that's... That's a good idea, but I was actually thinking that you'd come with me, Jack said. Sam dialed his mobile. What am I going to do? What would you need me for? Jack opened his mouth to begin speaking, but someone on the mobile summoned Sam's attention. Yeah, this is Sam Shellick. I'm at the Indianapolis Historical Museum. There's a robbery taking place. No, we're outside right now. Yeah, one person, Jackson Medley. He goes by Jack. In the alley outside the building. Yeah, he pulled the mobile from his face. Hey, Jack, he said with raised eyebrows. How did you know that they were robbing the place? Jack shook his head, shrugging his shoulders. I don't know, he whispered. I heard them. Yeah, he heard them. He's got enhanced hearing. Yeah, we'll stay put. Thank you. He hung up, and the mobile disappeared. Well, now we just wait. They said they should be here in a matter of minutes. Jack shook his head. No way, man. In a matter of minutes, they'll be long gone. We gotta stop them now, and you're coming with me, Jack said. Sam scoffed. What am I going to do? Stand there and hold on to one of them while you blast us both with heat vision? Jack cocked his head. There's an idea. See, you're already finding ways to be useful. You're not as weak as you think you are. You might even have another talent just waiting to develop. If I had another talent, don't you think I would have already developed it? Jack shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. Most of my talents came from being in extreme pressure like a life-threatening situation or something that made you have a lot of emotion. Like a ridiculous amount. Like earlier today, I found out I can turn invisible. Who knew? Sam shook his head. Congrats. I don't know, man. You go ahead and do your thing. I'll just wait here. Before he finished, Jack grabbed both his arms and began flying toward the window. 
It's so much more fun when you're along. There's no way I'm going to leave you in the alley, Jack said, stopping right outside the window. Come on, man. I'm serious. I just get in your way. Let me down, Sam said, trying to wiggle from Jack's grip. Nothing made Sam nervous. Not even a 60-foot... Not even a 60-foot drop into a garbage disposal. Sam, Jack said, his voice comforting. I'm serious when I say you won't get in the way. At the very least, you'll be an extra set of eyes. I can't beat a dozen trained men without making a few mistakes. You could help me see what I can't. Not to mention, you've been getting pretty good at that karate thing. I think you could even take one of them down by yourself. Sam exhaled. Shoot, Jack thought. He tried to cheer him up with his words, but accidentally insulted him in the process, insinuating that while Jack was fighting a dozen trained men, Sam could only take one of them. It wasn't helping his cause. He softened his voice further. Sam, please. Just this one time. If it goes south, I'll never ask you to do something like this again. I promise. Sam exhaled again. All right. I guess. Let's just get this over with, Sam said, resigned. Jack's heart leapt in his chest. Finally, an adventure. A real adventure. Something they could share stories about. Something to tell their grandkids about. Jack and Sam saving the day. Stopping criminals in their tracks. It would have to be quick, though. They told the elites they were going to stay in the alley. In and out. Beat the bad guys and leave them there in a pile for the elites to pick up. It would be just like an old school superhero story. Jack phased both of them through the bathroom window, leaving condensation in the shape of their bodies. Voices rang loudly through the floor. Weren't they afraid of someone hearing them? Weren't there security cameras that recorded the sound and images? No matter. They both walked quietly to the door. Jack flipped a switch, making the lights in the bathroom turn off. They went out the door to find more noise and more voices in the dark. Peeking around the corner, they could barely see the room lit by moonlight. As he expected, there was no longer red light on the security cameras, meaning that they weren't recording anything. The voices weren't as loud as Jack thought initially. They were actually hushed. Small whispers here and there, signaling orders from a singular man in the center of the room. The lights were off, and there were no longer flashlights beaming. Something was off. It just didn't make sense. Why would these men have their lights off when there were no windows on the walls? The only window on the entire room was the broken one above, most likely their point of entry. Also... Why were their voices hushed if the security cameras were turned off? Jack grabbed Sam's shoulder. Something's wrong, Jack whispered. Sam gestured his hand toward the center of the room, where the golden box from earlier was strung up and being lifted toward the broken window. That made sense. It was supposed to be extremely expensive. That was about the only thing that made sense about this scene. A sound caught Jack's ear. That ticking from before. Melodic. Indistinct. It was a pattern of sorts. So quiet that Jack could barely make it out. 
It was that thing the squeaky voiced man was working on just before Jack left to meet up with the group. Had the thieves been there before the museum closed? Had they slipped right in as the tour group left? None of this made any sense. Jack scanned the room, looking for the source of the sound. Toward the back corner, there was a small green light emitting from the device plugged into the wall. It looked like a flash drive transferring data from a computer. Was this what the man was working on? Was the device the reason the security cameras weren't recording? There was only one way to find out. Jack flicked his finger, snapping the device in two. Immediately, the lights burst on, revealing nearly fifteen of the armed guards from before, working to lift the artifact out of the window. So it was an inside job, he thought. Fans began spinning on the ceiling, creating an easy breeze. It didn't take long for the men to spot Jack and Sam crouched in the back of the room. They began shooting as both men dove for cover. The cover didn't last long, however, as the boxes they were hiding behind began to melt into an orange liquid. Sam gasped. Deconstructor rifles, Sam said. As soon as he spoke, an orange bullet hit Sam's arms, causing it to melt away in the section the bullet hit. They both ran for the hallway with the bathroom. What on earth do those things shoot? Jack nearly shouted over the noise of the rifle fire. Sam's wound wasn't healing. If it was, it was too slow to be of any significance. This was bad. If these bullets could make a wound that Sam couldn't heal, he could actually die here. The thought of this made Jack's heart race at double speed. There was never a risk for actual permanent injury to either Jack or Sam. Jack began flut. Jack began to feel like he was in over his head. He had to do something. Sam, stay here. You were right, man. I should have done this alone. I'm sorry I brought you along. Sam shook his head, wincing at the pain from his arm. Nah, I'm glad you did. This is probably the first time I've actually appreciated this useless talent. Sam grabbed Jack's shoulder. You do your thing. I'll just chill here. Sections of his arm continued melting into puddles of orange goo. Jack nodded. He took a deep breath, focusing most of his energy into his speed. The ceiling fans all but stopped. The breeze slowed to a halt, and the sounds around him began drawn out. A few more deep breaths, and he began running. He was light on his feet. His movements were smooth, graceful, like running became an art and Jack the artist. His momentum allowed him to run along the walls, and so he did, knocking the guns out of the mercenaries' hands one by one. That is, until he missed one. That was strange. He didn't usually misjudge distance when moving this fast. His mind, of course, was moving twice as fast as his body. How did he miss? He looped around to try again, but the man wasn't there any longer. He swiveled around just in time to see three orange bullets zip past his face, nearly missing him by inches. None of them made contact, but his face stung nonetheless. It felt like they grazed his skin just barely, but they didn't. Regardless, Sam was right. These bullets were fast. It was going to take a lot of effort to dodge these. But why did they come for him? 
As far as these guys were aware, Jack and Sam were in the hallway. Everyone seemed to be exactly where they were before, except the guard that he missed. Did he actually miss? Or did the man dodge out of the way? He felt a barrel press against the back of his head. Instinct kicked in and he ducked down twice as fast out of reflex. Three more bullets shot into the wall. He spun around expecting to see one of the guards standing there with a gun pointed to where his head was. Nothing. The space in front of him was empty. Again, he felt a barrel to the back of the head and again he dodged out of the way. For some reason, his reflexes made him move twice as fast as he could freely. Three more orange bullets hit the wall, making it melt in a large radius. He must create portals. That's why he's never there. That's going to make this twice as difficult, he thought, as he began running along the walls around the room. He moved in a zigzag pattern to appear unpredictable. When he ran, he studied the room to see where the portal-creating dasher would be. He'd never met anyone that could keep up with the speed. Was this man a titan? Not even the elites can move as fast as Jack. And they were the modern-day police force. They were the standard. This man was nowhere to be found. Jack circled around again to check on Sam. He was still huddled against the wall, clutching his melted arm. Jack's shadow was faint, but present. Moving at this speed... He didn't expect to see much of one. He didn't really pay attention. His shadow was... Wait. He had two shadows. One was shorter than the other. It clicked. The man was quick enough to keep up with him. In fact, he was following him. Jack breathed deeply, then spun around, running backwards. As he expected, there was a masked man sprinting behind him, trailing more closely than he found comfortable. Jack prepared to blast him with heat vision when he disappeared. Did he use a portal? Did he teleport? Rumors suggested that when someone teleported, they would leave a black mist behind them. Before Jack could think about anything else, he ran into something rock solid, stopping all motion. The wind was knocked out of him, and he toppled to the ground as the masked man stood over him. You've been living in a very small world, boy. The masked man said with a thick accent. His voice was deep and commanding. He must have been the leader. I bet you are the fastest one you know, aren't you? Where I come from, you'd be a joke. Your speed is laughable. Do not think that you will get very far with that speed, boy. Jack coughed as his breath returned to him. He crawled to his feet and took a deep breath, preparing to launch into another sprint. He was kicked sharply in the ribs, sending him flying across the room. He hit a section of the wall, still melting from the deconstructor bullets. His skin began burning when it made contact. The man appeared at his side, grabbing him by the neck and pinning him to the wall. Your speed is an embarrassment, but you're not completely worthless. You'll fetch a fine price. Jack couldn't breathe. The man's grip was so strong. He began to panic, kicking and swinging his arms wildly. He blasted his heat vision, but the man grabbed his chin, forcing his head upward to the ceiling. His adrenaline made him overexert the heat vision, and he blasted away half the ceiling. 
The man punched Jack's gut so hard he wanted to puke. So this is the power of a titan, he thought. So, the masked man said with an intrigued tone, it seems you have more power than you are letting on. Jack grabbed the man's arm, which was still pinning his neck to the wall. He was barely able to make him loosen his grip on Jack, allowing raspy breaths to enter his throat. This is good. This, this is very good, the man said, sounding excited. He didn't even seem to notice Jack's attempt at escape. If only there was someone else that could help. To Sam, this was all happening in a fraction of a second. There was no help coming. Even if the elites rushed in right now, it was doubtful they could do much against a titan so powerful. Yes, you will fetch me a good price. You may be my greatest catch yet. The man's eyes were hungry, like a predator that's just caught its prey. What did he mean? Jack would fetch him a good price. Was he going to sell Jack? Imagining this made Jack nearly go into full panic mode. His adrenaline surged. He felt his heart beat faster and more powerfully than ever before, like it was itching to get a piece of this man. Something changed in Jack. He felt a level of power and excitement he'd never before experienced. A thrill that seemed to crave a fight. Bloodlust. Over. My. Dead. Body. He said, as he grabbed the man's wrist. To the man's surprise, Jack pried his hand. To the man's surprise, Jack pried his hand from his neck with relative ease. The confidence in the man's eyes wavered as Jack saw the reflection of his own eyes. They had turned a deep shade of red. They hadn't just changed color. They glowed brightly, making the man squint. The masked man hesitated for merely a second before punching into Jack's chest. Even with this newfound strength, the punch sent him crashing through the wall toward the street below. Jack barely felt any of this as he stopped himself in midair. He exploded toward the museum. Before he could reach the museum, his vision melted to darkness. He was back in the dream he had on the bus. Darkness surrounded him. He slushed in dark, thick liquid with each step he took. If this was in fact the recurring dream he had experienced every few days, then there should be massive double doors somewhere up ahead. Suddenly, they came into view, although something was different this time. Where there used to be a small fissure a quarter of the way up to the side of the doors, there was now a huge crack that nearly split the doors in two. The doors weren't open. The crack in the door signified that something powerful on the other side had nearly broken free, letting out so much light that Jack had to shield his eyes. He was pulled from the dream just as quickly as he arrived. His view shifted back to reality as the crisp night air smacked his face. What was he doing in the air? What was he about to do? It clicked. The museum. The masked man. He flew at speeds he previously thought impossible. The fastest he or any man had ever flown was Mach 1.5. This was, of course, as fast as anyone had attempted to fly. However, his skin had begun to peel. The only time in his memory when his skin peeled from speed was when he reached Mach 20. 
It was thrilling to be moving this fast. In the center of the room, where the thugs were lifting the artifact through the room, Jack appeared as if out of thin air. He brought with him a gust of wind so powerful that everyone in the room was knocked off their feet. Everyone but the masked man and Sam, who was now standing in the hallway held hostage by the man. The captor had a deconstructor pistol pressed against Sam's head. He eyed Jack with that wild-eyed, hungry expression he showed earlier. His eyes seemed to indicate a checkmate. If Jack moved, he'd pull the trigger and kill Sam. Jack felt like he could grab the gun out of his hand before he pulled the trigger. But was it worth the risk? Both of them knew that Sam couldn't heal from a deconstructor rifle. If the man pulled the trigger, that would be it. No more Sam. The masked man had him. It was checkmate. The light faded from Jack's eyes as they returned to their normal green color. Tears fell from Sam's cheek as he breathed frantically. Now both of his arms were melting. It seemed the masked man shot his other arm, cautious that he had a powerful talent of his own. The men around Jack began to stand from being knocked down by the wind. He hovered slowly to the floor, landing gracefully with his hands out. More tears streamed from Sam's face as he sniffed and locked eyes with Jack. He seemed to be pleading for help, but couldn't get the words out. Jack's heart sank. This went terribly wrong. This was not the way it was supposed to go. Get in and out. Beat the bad guys and be done with them. I wasn't supposed to be a titan. Now Sam, his best friend in the world, could possibly die. And it would be all Jack's fault. Jack fell to his knees, still holding his arms out submissively, and chuckled. That's right. You know what comes next if you move. The man cursed. I didn't expect you to be that powerful. He spit on the ground before him, and it seems you are fast after all. You will fetch me a very, very good price. But I can't have you pulling a stunt like that again. He whistled, nudging his head in Jack's direction. Jack was too afraid for Sam's sake to take his eyes off the man. Loud footsteps followed. Then Jack felt a sharp sting in his neck. Someone had stuck a needle in him. Suddenly, he was powerless. Unable to feel any speed or strength. Unable to do anything but kneel. He became winded, as if he had just worked himself to the bone and felt weak. He fell to the side, still watching the masked man. Even though Jack had no speed, the moments following seemed to pass in slow motion. The masked man smiled with an expression of pure triumph. Looking directly into Jack's eyes, he pulled the trigger. Sam's lifeless body dropped to the floor, as motionless as Jack. Jack felt a scream leave his mouth. He still couldn't move. He couldn't control his body at all. His vision blurred. Was it the drug? Or the tears? It didn't matter. 
This ends part one. Part two, coming soon.